Okay. Good morning. Today I have Harry with me. Hiya, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, good morning. Um, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Um, my name is Harry Fisher. I write uh, crime thrillers and they're based in Leith in the port of Edinburgh. Um, that's where I'm from originally. I live in Aberdeen now, but I'm originally from Leith. Um, that's where I was born. That's where I set. Well, I was born in Edinburgh in hospital, obviously, but then for the first seven, eight years of my life, uh, I lived in Leith. And then we moved to a different part of Edinburgh. Um, so that's why I set my books there. Um, write what you know about and all that sort of stuff. Um, I've lived in Aberdeen for a good number of years now. Um, I had a couple of careers up here and uh, now I'm writing books. So um, I'm married, uh, my wife's called Shona, and uh, we have a crazy Hungarian Vishla, um, whose job it is to keep us on the move. And that's kind of me. Did you always know that you wanted to write? Do you know, it is a bit of a cliche, but I've always fancied the idea. It's not something that I, you know, pursued every day in life by any manner of means but I always fancied the idea of writing a book. The problem is coming up with a story that actually holds water because it's so easy to come up with a story. And if you're writing about, you know, if you're writing about historic crime, then it's okay because time is then fixed. But if you're writing about um, modern day crime, then science or technology or um, medicine can completely blow your idea out of the water. Um, and so that was the, the problem I had. And then one day I did come up with an idea that did hold water. So that's kind of where it started. Was that the push to finally go for it and actually start writing properly? Yeah, it was. Um, that was in 2014. I started to write. Um, my wife was going on holiday to Canada with a friend of ours to visit other friends. It was made perfectly clear to me that I was not invited. Um, so, <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm not going to stay here. Um, what will I do? So I went off on a hill walking holiday to Slovenia um, and took an iPad and a notebook and pens and pencils and things and basically just marched about the Slovenian mountains. They're called the Julian Alps um, and stayed in uh, mountain huts overnight. Um, and jotted down ideas and then tapped them all up on the, the iPad and uh, emailed them home whenever I got a, um, you know, a decent signal. Um, and then the process of getting that book. So I've written two books and the one that's being published or that was published this month is Be Sure Your Sins. That's actually the second book I wrote. Um, but that that was the one I submitted to Holbeck, to the publisher. Um, so I'd already written the first one, which is Way Beyond the Lie, and that is going to be published by Holbeck in um, November. So that was the book I was working on, and it took about, well, it took probably about maybe two and a half, three years to get it to the point whereby I was ready to submit it to agents. Um, but I submitted it to 25 agents, got absolutely nowhere and decided to self-publish. Um, and I thought that was me finished. 
So the idea, if I was saying earlier on about the, you know, um, books uh, coming, trying to come up with a story. So the story of that book, Way Beyond the Lie, is about a couple who go supermarket shopping and the woman disappears completely. And the idea from that came from the fact that I was in the supermarket with my wife. I turned around to look at something and when I turned back, she'd gone. Now that's fairly standard, but I expected to find her in the next aisle or maybe the one after that. And then the idea came into my head, well, what if I couldn't find her at all? What if she just wasn't anywhere? and wasn't in the store, and nobody could find her. And that's where it all started kicking off. So um, I was unsuccessful getting a literary agent. Uh, crime fiction, as you know, is chock-a-block. Um, and so I self-published. But when I was successful with my second book with Holbeck, um, they very kindly agreed to publish the first book second. So be sure your sins comes is already out. Way Beyond the Lie comes out second in November, and I've just finished the draft of uh, my third book. Yes, and how did your contract with Hobet come about? Well, I submitted Be Sure Your Sins. Um, it had gone out to um, 40. I'd, I'd made 40 submissions to literary agents that were all rejected or ignored. Um, and that, I said ignored. It's not a criticism. I understand that literary agents are, you know, swamped. So the fact that they don't respond within a certain period of time is fair enough by me. Um, we passed, like I say, 40 submissions. And then, believe it or not, I got two offers on the same weekend from independent publishers. So, yeah, everybody says, oh, just like buses and taxis, you know, you're waiting on one and then two come along. So, um Hobeck received the submission, um, got back to me, asked for the full manuscript, and then I had a choice between Hobeck and the other publisher and um, decided quite easily, actually, that I wanted to go with Hobeck. Um, and so uh, that's how it all came about. Why crime fiction? Well, again, it's back to what you enjoy. Um, write about what you know. I like crime fiction. I've already always read thrillers, adventure, crime, that sort of stuff. I've never liked science fiction, so I wouldn't write about science fiction. And sweeping sagas are probably beyond me, as is rom-com. Um, so crime fiction just seemed the obvious one, you know, to be quite honest. Um, um, there was never any idea to write anything else. Um, so that's, I enjoy it. I, I get a a kick out of creating the the storylines and the plots and the characters. So that's why crime fiction. What's the most interesting thing you found doing research for your book so far? I'm heavily into digital forensics. So the third book that I'm writing is called Yes, I Killed Her. And it's all about a guy who commits the perfect murder. Now, books about the perfect murder and plays and films of, you know, joking apart, they've been done to death. But these days, we've got CCTV cameras everywhere. We've got huge advances in forensic science. We've got digital footprints, you know, as big as a Yeti with our online presence. 
so quite how do you get away with the perfect murder? You know, first thing, you've got to get rid of the body. Well, that involves transporting it, and your car is photographed, you know, all over. If you live in a town or a city or even on a motorway, your car's photographed all the time. So the whole idea of trying to get away with a murder when we are so visible online that's what interests me so it's all the things that i'm finding out about digital forensics they are fascinating i i i just you know love it so it's a real puzzle to create how my bad guy got rid of the body of his wife and i'm not giving away any spoilers because the book is called yes i killed her and you know the blurb will say he did kill her and in the first chapter you find out he, he killed her so it's not so much about the fact he killed her, it's how he gets away with it, or doesn't, as the case may be. Um, digital forensics is quite scary, isn't it? Because they just can't keep up with criminals, which is uh, worrying. Well, yeah, especially, you know, criminals, criminals at the higher level. Um, you know, they are producing stuff to try to scam us as much as they possibly can and you know we know all about clicking on links and you know text messages that are supposed to be from the post office or you know some other person who says our package isn't delivered so yes you're right but i think you know if you go back in history to the very first thief who stole the very first thing from a house the first thing they did was design a lock. And then the thief worked out how to break the lock. And so they designed a better lock. And so it went on. So at every stage in the proceedings, criminals have been ahead of the people trying to secure our premises or our online activity or our bank accounts or whatever. Um, I don't think it's a losing battle, but it's a it's a tough battle that that these enforcement agencies have got to have got to follow, and that's the sort of thing that fascinates me. Out of your book so far, who's your favourite character that you've written? Ooh. Well, the key character, the lead character in my books, is, is uh, a detective sergeant called Melissa or Mel Cooper. So I do like her, but some of the baddies um, are actually, they're more fun. Um, so in Way Beyond the Lie, some of my baddies are Eastern European. And yeah, they're bad people. And yeah, they are attempting to um, scam us. But I like them and they're, they're good fun. And I also have a, a character in... Be sure your sins. Um, who is a police officer, and Mel doesn't like her, and she doesn't like Mel. So I, at first, I named her. I mean, she has a proper name, but I named her Frosty Knickers because that's what that's what Mel called her. Um, but then Mel realised that that was she probably couldn't keep doing that, and she didn't trust herself not to call. Uh, her fellow officer Frosty Nickers in in, in public, and um, so she used her proper name. So um, I don't think I have a single character that's my favourite, but certainly apart from Mel, 
um, and some of the other side characters. My favourite characters are, are are some of the bad guys because they're they're actually quite easy to write about. Um, it, I don't find it difficult to come up with what bad people say or do, especially if the bad people have got a bit of a sense of humour and you know they've kind of got some redeeming features about them too. Um, do you hide any secret jokes or messages or Easter eggs in your books? Yes, I do. Um, uh, there's part of the story in Be Sure Your Sins where, again, without any spoilers, they speak about a six-year-old girl who loses her giant, enormous, fluffy uh, toy cat that she got at Christmas. And I said that Phoebe, that's a little girl, immediately named the cat Scooby, but nobody had a clue why she'd done it. So there's a bit of rhyming slang in there, Scooby-Doo clue. Um, but also, um, I was picked up by one of my friends who is an architect in the first book, Way Beyond the Lie, because I said that someone went running up to a door and skidded to a halt um, with their foot on the doorstep. And my friend, Hilary, picked me up and said, is that a modern house? And I said, yes. And she said, well, modern houses don't have doorsteps because it's all about accessibility. And I said, Oh, really? I didn't know that. Cheers. Thanks very much. So in the second book, which is Be Sure Your Sins, I'm sorry about the confusion, but I wrote Way Beyond the Lie first and Be Sure Your Sins second, but Be Sure Your Sins is being published first and Way Beyond the Lie second. So my apologies to anybody who's listening. But um, I, I wrote a scene in Be Sure Your Sins where one character visited another character in their house in a tenement. And the way that I constructed the story, afterwards I realised that the tenement couldn't have been constructed like that. The rooms couldn't have been where they could have been. But I just left it. And then I told my friend that I'd, I'd left a, an architectural blooper in the book for her to find. And I was dead chuffed when she didn't actually find it. Um, <laughs> So it's quite good fun just to leave little bits in there for, you know, individuals or drop a little joke in. Um, and whether people get it or not, I don't, I don't actually mind because it's all about the fun of writing. So you're still writing a serious crime thriller, but there's absolutely no harm whatsoever in, in as you say, leaving little uh, jokes or Easter eggs or bombs uh, in there. It's quite good fun. Yeah, I love that. I love it when authors do that. Good. Um, if you were to be a killer in a book, how would you kill your victims? In such a way that the police might find it difficult to figure out how I'd actually done it. So they've got a body and it might not be particularly obvious. So I have in mind uh, a serial killer um, who he might kill people or he might just take them to the point of being dead. 
but it would be up to the police to figure out how it had actually been done. So there'd be a bit of a challenge there to the police. I've read a lot of books by um, Jeffrey Deaver, who wrote the series uh, Lincoln Rhyme. And one of his books, um, I forget which one, but it was all about a magician or an illusionist. And the illusionist um, managed to kill people, then get away, despite the fact it appeared to be impossible for him to get away from a locked room um, or a, a, a blind alley. Um, and that was a fascinating book because he used deflection and deception and the other tricks that magicians use, you know, even if they're taking something out your ear, they distract your attention from somewhere else. So so I think that would be my answer to that. I, if I was going to go out in a blaze of glory, I'd want the police to have to work a bit, work a bit harder than just saying, oh, look, there's a knife sticking out that guy's back. That, that would be, that's, I think that would be, you know, I'd have fun while I was killing people. <laughs> <laughs> love how you lot don't really have to think about that answer you're just like yeah I'll just do this and this and make sure that I didn't get caught <laughs> <laughs> well you know um if I if the police ever investigated my um google search history the same as every other crime author I guess um it would be frightening the stuff I've looked up sometimes to rule it out and sometimes to rule it in but I think it would be, I mean, I, I guess they probably wouldn't because they'd figure out I was an author, but or they should. But um, I think it would be fascinating uh, maybe to trawl back through it one day and think, oh, God, look at that. You know, why did, why did I research that? Um, but I think, yeah, you know, all writers must have an imagination and it's just letting that imagination not quite run riot because then you might have a mess, but at least run free so that, you you know, good stuff comes out. Um, what's been your favourite moment so far since you started writing? I think it has to be when the first proof of Way Beyond the Lie landed on the doorstep. Um, because you've spent so much time on a keyboard, You've maybe printed out a manuscript. I did for one of my better readers, uh, asked to, to have it in, in paper, so I'd printed it out. But that was the first time I'd actually held the, the work in my hand. But, you know, when we self-published and it came back with a cover um, and all this stuff, you know, front, front and back and inside and then the book itself, I, that was an absolutely thrilling moment. It, it really was. A few, you know, and a few weeks later when a big box of books arrived, that was thrilling too. But I don't think you can beat, or I don't think I, I speak for myself, I don't think I can beat when, you know, that first package arrived and we both knew what it was and the bottle of fizz was ready. Um, that was a thrill, an absolute thrill. What's your biggest dream? probably like most other authors, is to see your book front and centre on, you know, bookshelves all over the place. Um, I know how hard it is. Um, I 
you know, only a tiny percentage of authors actually make it. But I think that would be the dream um, because we've made some money, but we haven't actually made any money because we're probably still running at a loss. If I were definitely, never mind probably, we are definitely still running at a loss. So it would be nice, um, not just to make money, but it would be nice to know that my books were out there for everybody to get a hold of, not just my contacts or people you know, who follow me on Twitter or whatever, um, because there's not too many of them at the moment because I had to relaunch myself on Twitter just three weeks ago. Um, so I think that that would be it. That would be the dream is to have the book all over the place and to know that it was accessible to anybody who wanted to, you know, to buy it or to download it. That would be the dream. Um, totally forgot. Are you going to do um, uh, literary events next year? I'd like to. Um, the publisher, uh, Rebecca Holbeck, has, has um, just sent out uh, an email about Harrogate. Uh, we've got one in Stirling called Bloody Scotland, but there's also one in Aberdeen in February called Granite Noir. So we've been in touch with the organisers to see if we can get a slot for me at Granite Noir. I was lucky two years ago before um, lockdown, um, I was invited with a lot of other people to um, apply for something they called Locals in the Limelight. And that was where local authors got a chance to stand up for five minutes in advance of a main gig. So I got my five minutes, I got a chance to do a little reading, I got a chance to speak to the audience, and then I went and sat off at the side and got a chance to speak to the two authors who were part of the gig as well. Um, but that was a tiny, you know, just a tiny thing. Um, but this year we're, we're, we're kind of trying to push Granite Noir because I've got two books, I, well, I will have by then, um, I have a publisher which gives me a little bit more um, clout. Um, so yes, is is the answer because it's part of the the process. It's part of the job. If I can't get up in front of the media and in front of um, you know um, um, an audience and people who are in the book trade, it will be so much more difficult. So yes, I do plan to next year. I'm quite. I, one of my jobs, I was self-employed as a training consultant, so I'm perfectly used to standing up in front of people and, and chatting away um, all day as, you know, as a trainer. So it doesn't faze me at all. I'm, I'm quite happy with the idea. Um, so I hope to get the opportunity. Um, February um, would be the first chance, and then we'll see what, what happens after that. Well, hopefully I'll see you at Harrogate or Bloody Scotland. I think I'll be going to both, so. Oh, that'd be lovely. That'd be really yeah. lovely. I couldn't go to Bloody Scotland this year because it's in Stirling, which is about a two-hour drive from here. And we were going on holiday, which is about a three-hour drive in the following, in the opposite direction, to a place called the Black Isle. Um, and we were going on the Saturday morning and Bloody Scotland kicked off on the Friday. But this holiday had been booked for months and months and months, as you know, as you can imagine. Um, so it, uh, uh, I couldn't go. It was, it was, it was unfeasible to 
drive two hours in one direction on a, a Friday, drive two hours and back on the Saturday morning, pack the car, grab the dog, do all the stuff, and then head off for three hours, you know, up towards the Highlands. So um, it was a shame I missed it, but uh, next year I would definitely like to go. I think it took me seven or eight hours to get up there. <laughs> Where are you based? Bedfordshire. Okay, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's not on your doorstep, that's for sure. Harry None gets of a bit it is. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, and that's the same same here. You know, I'm based in Aberdeen, which is you know the northeast coast of Scotland. There's a good hundred miles above us on mainland Scotland, so we're by no means remote. Um, but as far as the literary uh, industry is concerned, we are we are quite remote. Um, and but you know, with COVID, uh, Zoom talks, you know, like today, are you know everybody's so much more used to it. Can you imagine if COVID had struck maybe even 10 or 15 years ago, how much we would all have struggled? Um, so uh, it's made, you know, no one's saying COVID was easy by any manner of means, but, you know, the technology these days makes things a, a lot, a lot easier. But last night I did my first face-to-face -face, uh, talk uh, to a group of people since uh, prior to lockdown. So um, that was enjoyable. I reckon I'd have tackled more of my TBR though if we didn't have technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, have you made lots of author friends since you started writing? Um, only really through Hobeck. Um, and I haven't met any of them yet, of course. Um, we've chatted online and, and stuff. I do have a, a friend in Aberdeen uh, called Stephen um, and Stephen had given up his job and gone to do an MA in creative writing and was, you know, busy writing away. And we got in touch through a mutual contact. And so we meet up from time to time. Um, but Stephen writes compl completely different stuff uh, from me. Um, so we talk about the general process rather than, you know, a shared interest in our respective genres. Um, so Stephen's the only person uh, from Aberdeen that I know. Um, again, uh, prior to writing Way Beyond the Lie, I had never written a single line of fiction, nothing, absolutely zero. So, you know, people say, oh, you should write short stories or articles or, you know, novellas or whatever, but I didn't. I just jumped right in and wrote a book, um, Cold Turkey for Authors, I guess you would call it. And so therefore I had to search online for advice about how to do stuff or, you know, how to write stuff or how to pitch or whatever. And one of the things they said was join a writing group and you'll get lots of help and people to critique your work and stuff. And I thought, no, I don't fancy that at all. I wasn't confident enough. I wasn't sure how I would feel about somebody I'd just didn't know at all, you know, saying something about my work I didn't agree with. So I, rightly or wrongly, I decided not to do that. Um, it just wasn't for me. I'm not saying it's wrong. It just wasn't for me at all. Um, so I've kind of operated a bit in a bubble. Um, I don't regret that because I've been okay in my little bubble. But um, so therefore, I don't know too many, too many authors. But I I have cousins, I'm originally from Edinburgh, like I said, and I have 
uh, cousins in Edinburgh, and we were down in Edinburgh, um, which you know over the past you know week, uh, researching locations for book three and book four. Um, and I met up with one of my cousins um, who's read read my books, and doesn't he know Ian Rankin personally? We were in the pub having a pint, as you imagine, and he told me that. He just mentioned him, and, and then he mentioned something else about him. And I said, whoa, 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 slow down, David. <laughs> Are you telling me you know Ian Rankin? Oh, yeah, he says, yeah, I thought you knew that. I said, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, he says, Our, um, one of my kids and one of his kids went to school together. He said, so I know him quite well. And well, cheers, David. Thank you very much. So now I'm figuring out just what I can do with that, because... Ian Rankin probably gets approached by a million people a week, you know, saying, would you read my book? Would you do this? Would you do that? But it's just too good an opportunity to miss. So, Mr. Rankin, if you are listening to this, um, my cousin is David Ferguson. Your kids went to school at the same time, and I'm just trying to figure out how to get in touch with you uh, and uh, see if you would be interested in having a look at my book. And the reason I'm saying that particularly is one of my fellow authors at Holbeck, Ollie Jarvis, has just published um, his book, The Genesis Inquiry, uh, this week. And um, because of his family connections, he's got uh, uh, the backing of Stephen Fry, um, who's written a lovely uh, you know, comment about, about Ollie's book. So good on him. Um, so I think you know, if I could get Ian Rankin to do something similar, it'd be fab. But I can't go knocking on his door. Um, I did post a reply to him on uh, Twitter last night, but it's such a long shot. But it, I would be foolish if I didn't try to follow it up in some way. I just need to figure out the right way to do it without, you know, sounding like I'm stalking him. <laughs> yeah, stalking's fine. I've done that to um, Malcolm Holland Drake, and now is my friend, so it's fine. You just got to be, don't know, be clever with it, maybe, or just flatter them. Either one, I don't know. Whatever works. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever I do, I'll do something because it would be stupid not to. Really, it's an opportunity, and it might be you know a once in a, a million opportunity. So I'll have to do something. Um, I said to my cousin, I said, don't do anything yet. Don't, you know, <laughs> let me think about it first. But uh, yeah, I just couldn't believe it when you said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I thought you knew that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I um, met Ian Rankin at Harrogate. Um, he was doing a pop-up event that me, Rebecca and um, Adrian went to. And then um, he signed a book for me. Then I went up to him to ask him to personalise it. Um, and he was a bit, I think he'd sort of been hassled and stuff. And then the next morning I was sitting there on my own, just reading, drinking coffee, and he walked past and said, good morning. I was like, oh, bye. <laughs> so, yeah, I've met Ian Rankin as well. Yeah, I knew that Rebecca and Adrian had. Um, um, I, I think they tried to bump into him again at, uh, at uh, sorry, Bloody Scotland. that uh, weren't successful, but... Um, yeah, it's too good an opportunity. I, I'm going to speak to Rebecca about it because I only found this out the other day. Um, so I'm, I'm going to speak to Rebecca and say, look, 
how do we actually do this? Um, but I'll keep you posted. Yes, please do. I'll be really interested. I need to speak to Ollie as well. I'm going to try and <laughs> corner him because I read his book. I was on a blog tour yesterday. So he's next on my list, my next victim. Good old. Hope that goes well. <laughs> Me too. Um, I need to get into a grief first. Um, and do you get a lot of feedback from readers? Yes, I do. Um, I get personal feedback from friends who have um, read my books. Um, that's lovely. I, because Way Beyond the Lie was self-published and was on uh, was on Amazon. Um, there were 151 reviews of it, and it rated 4.6 stars, which is pretty good. Um, you know, if you told me that before I started, I would be chuffed to little mint balls. Um, but, um, and so people post reviews um, on there. Um, almost all um, really good. Um, the one thing I don't like about feedback is the um, people reading on Kindle who get to the end and can just go and tap, you know, whatever start they want. And I was annoyed the other day. Um, and I don't mind admitting it. Um, I was annoyed because once Be Sure Your Sins launched, um, someone posted a two-star review. But they posted it just by hitting the two stars at the end of their Kindle. I don't expect everybody to, to like my work. That, that would be unrealistic. And if someone genuinely feels it is only worth two stars, that, that is entirely their opinion. My opinion is different, of course. But I, don't, I wouldn't mind if they justified that by posting a review that said, look, this book wasn't my cup of tea. Or, um, you know, I didn't think the story held water. Or I thought the characters were bland. I wouldn't mind that at all, because at least they have put some thought into it, maybe not much, but they've put some thought into it. Um, and then they have gone to the trouble of posting their review. So I don't like the fact that I would get a two-star review on that, but I can understand it. But for someone just to go, you know, for whatever reason, just to hit two stars and that's the end of it, they're completely disrespecting the fact that um, someone has spent possibly years of their life a lot of emotion, a lot of energy, possibly a lot of money. Loads and loads of people will have helped that author, whether they are better readers or whether they are editors or whether they are just simply offering advice. And then someone just goes, boom, and hits two stars, you know, in the blink of an eye. It's, it's not right. And I saw a, a blogger, and I apologise to that person, but I forget which one it was on Twitter recently, who said... Here are my ratings criteria. Five stars is this, four stars is this, three stars is this, and two and one stars. I don't post two and one stars reviews for um, through respect for the author. That's fair enough. I still wouldn't mind as long as it was justifiable, as long as the person took some time and effort to, to justify their review. But um, by and large, uh, that is a statistical outlier. I don't get too many of those. And it's lovely to hear that all sorts of people from all sorts of 
life and all sorts of ages from teenagers up to the eight, their 80s um, have read the book and have really enjoyed it. And, you know, that's why we write, is to entertain people. Well, not all of it's about entertainment, I guess, because some stories are really very dark and, you know, very scary. But by and large, the reader is, you're writing it so that they enjoy what they've read in some way, shape or form, um, that experience. So, yeah, getting feedback is, is tremendous. And one of the best examples is when someone that I don't know takes the time to send me an email to say, we've never met, I've just read your book, you know, and it was fantastic. And we now have two friends from a, a different part of Scotland down in Fife, um, and that's how we met them. Um, you know, the chap read the book and took the time to write to me, and that, that just blows you away because you don't know these people, you know, at all, um, and they take the time and the trouble. So by and large, it's a, yeah, feedback has a great, been a great experience for me, um, uh, and it, it brightens up your day, I guess, best way to put it. Yeah. Um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? I used to read a lot of books by Alistair MacLean. So, you know, the guns, all the way back to the guns of Navarone. Uh, and he wrote about 20 books and at the time they were fabulous um, and everybody in my work read those books we work shift so the books just got passed around um, I would love to meet him because he his characters were fantastic but they were the type of characters that could be shot beaten up run over and they would still survive they would still drag themselves with one arm up the side of a ship sailing through the Arctic, you know, to beat the bad guys. So his imagination was fantastic, but he wrote for such a long period of time um, in at a high standard for his readers. And recently, like I said, after at the time of Bloody Scotland, we were going to a place um, called the Black Isle. And the Black Isle is uh, not an island at all. It's just north of Inverness. And there's a place on the Black Isle, it's a, so it's a peninsula. And there's a place on the Black Isle called Conan Bridge. And we were staying right next to Conan Bridge. And um, it transpired that the woman who owned the house that we were renting is also an author and a published author. And we only discovered this because we told her that I just finished the draft of um, book three sitting on her couch in her rented property. And she said, oh, I'm a writer. And then just through conversation, um, it, it transpired that um, Alistair McLean was born in Conan Bridge. So we were sitting literally a mile away from where he was born. So I think, you know, without being too serious or too, you know, deep about it, I think I would love to meet him just because I read so many of his books that, that transported you all over the world from the south of France to the Antarctic to various parts of the Baltics, um, Russia, everywhere. Um, that he, he'd be good fun, I think, to sit and chat to. I hope, I hope he'd be good fun. <laughs> what do you like to do when you're not writing or in your free time? 
Well, we walk a lot because we've got a dog, so he needs walked every day. So up here today, it's a beautiful, crystal clear day. Um, it's only six degrees, but it's perfect. There's no wind. Um, so we were out walking this morning in, in a forest not far from here for about an hour. Met some people that we know, uh, met some dogs that we know. Um, just fresh air and exercise um, is it's a big part of our lives now. It's, well, it's, it's, a, it's an everyday part of our lives now. Um, twice, twice, three times a day, um, we have to walk the dog. Um, but the big walk is in the morning. That's where he gets to romp about the forest. Um, so that's what we like to do. Um, and of course, with COVID, um, it's something we can actually do. <laughs> with, uh, uh, But, you know, there's wine, there's beer, there's books to read, there's... TV to watch, not too much of it, but we do. Um, and there's holidays to go on, so we do like traveling as well. So if we can combine, um, you know, travel, food, exercise, and uh, some time in the hills, then that, that's just, that, that's fantastic as far as we're concerned. Um, who was your first celebrity crush? You got that red envelope with you, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be someone off the TV, wouldn't it? Or somebody from a, a film. So, you know, going back in my era, you know, it would be somebody like Raquel Welsh or um, Ursula Andress, you know, in that famous scene where she appears out the water in Dr. No. Uh, yeah, that get, that's it. That, that's the answer. Uh, <laughs> because I think in those days, Hollywood heroines and, you know, actresses, which would have been the term at the time, please don't shoot me anyone from the PC police if I've got that wrong. They were, they weren't, you know, they weren't um, photoshopped, they weren't uh, they were they looked okay, they were glamorous, but they looked fairly natural as opposed to some of the manufactured characters that you get um, these days in films and on TV. Um, so I think all the you know the beautiful women were genuinely beautiful and you know they probably looked beautiful going to the shops in the morning with you know straight out of their bed type thing. But I think that would be my answer to your question because of the image as well and because there can hardly be a person alive um, who hasn't, you know, unless they've never heard of James Bond, um, then they would, they would, uh, they would have heard about, or they would have could picture that scene. So I'll go with that one. I'm sorry if, to anyone if that's shallow, but you did ask the question. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> if you were to be a fictional villain for a day, who would you be? We'll go back to James Bond again, won't we? It's got to be, it's got to be the guy who sits in the chair, you know. When he turns around, he's got a white cat, you know, and he's stroking the white cat and saying, "Mr. Bond," because those guys they all lived in, you know, hollowed-out volcanoes. They all had plenty of money. <laughs> they all had a million henchmen running about in black suits or grey suits or, you know, white uh, boiler suits with you know, machine guns firing 
a zillion bullets at, at James Bond. Every single one of them missed him. And so I think I think a, a completely larger than life character who wants to rule the world, um, and all the all the gizmos and devices and weapons of of uh, of mass destruction. Who ne- they never actually destroyed anybody because James Bond always destroyed the you know the site first. But I think yeah, it, had to, it would have to be some some of them because they had lots of fun and they had lots of great sidekicks who you know had. Um, Rosa Klebb, who had a, you know, a shoe that a, a blade came shooting out, and she tried to kick James Bond, and it had poison on the end. That that sort of thing, an odd job with his hat that could take the head of a statue off. So yeah, somebody like that. Awesome. <laughs> um, if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? Hope you don't mind. I was just asked that question recently, so I, I really need to give the same answer. Um, it, and my answer was back to a period where exploration was rife, where there were still plenty of places to explore. Um, because trying to explore somewhere now, I mean, you know, you've got to be William Shatner heading out into space, haven't you, really? Um, so I think. That, that was my answer because those guys like Shackleton who explored the Antarctic in the early 1900s, they were practically the first people there. Um, you know, um, the people who went to the American Midwest following their dreams of gold and, and riches beyond belief, um, you know, they, they were the first people to, to set off across, across there. And whether you agree with the moral, you know, idea of, you know, white settlers overtaking indigenous lands is, is a completely different argument. But I think that would be my answer, you know, when exploration was not, it wasn't easy by any manner of means. Um, but what, I, I read a terrific book about Shackleton and one of his um, expeditions to the Antarctic. It was the third one. And there were 58 men picked to go on two ships. So it was kind of a two-pronged, the book is called South, it's amazing. Um, It was kind of a two-pronged assault to try to reach the center of Antarctica. And one ship went down to past the Falklands and made land there. But another ship went down from New Zealand to the opposite side of the Antarctic. And the idea was they would both meet in the middle. So 58 men were picked to man those two ships in addition to Shackleton and his officers, but 5,000 odd applied to go. So they were going completely into the unknown. The equipment, the ships would have been good, but can you imagine what they were wearing? They were wearing tweeds and oil skins and, you know, thigh high waders and you know, no Gore-Tex, <laughs> you know, no posh boots. Um, but 5,000 odd people, uh, not odd people, but 5,000 odd people, um, you know, applied to go on that. So that would be my answer, would be to go back to a time where, where it was relatively civilised, but where you were, you still had the chance to explore. And where 
yeah, there were bad parts of the world, but there aren't, there wouldn't have been so many bad parts of the world as unfortunately there are these days, um, where you just couldn't go to a certain area. I mean, you know, there's a, a cyclist whose name completely escapes me, but he's written books about cycling the world, but he's been through Mexico and, um, you know, various parts of, of Afghanistan and all sorts of places. And just think how brave, I mean, he had escorts and things at these, these things, but he got himself into all sorts of difficulty just trying to cycle through. Um, so it, it would have been not so dangerous then from the point of view of the type of people that you would likely meet in most every country in the world. Um, but it was still dangerous from a, you know, an experiential point of view and, you know, the form of transport and how they lived and all the rest of it. But, it, you know, if anybody who's listening to this is interested at all in, in that sort of exploration, South um, is an amazing book. Um, and uh, I thoroughly recommend it. That'd be my answer to that. Well, you made me relieved to know I don't have any more questions for you, unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you about that you want to tell us. No, I don't think so. Um, just, you know, thanks very much for giving me a platform to speak. I've enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Um, I'll put on record my thanks to everybody who's helped in any way, shape or form with my writing or, you know, uh, with the books, um, because it would be a very lonely job if it wasn't for all the people who give freely of their time um, and their efforts to help. So a big thanks to everybody. Um, and thanks again for your time. I've, I've enjoyed chatting with you. Me too. Um, just before we go, would you like to just remind everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can get your books from? Okay, thanks. Um, if you go to my website, which is all one word, harryfisherwriter.com, then you'll find all sorts of stuff on there about me. Um, Be Sure Your Sins is available on Kindle and on paperback from Amazon and paperbacks from other retailers as well. Um, and Way Beyond a Lie uh, will be available. It's available for pre-orders just now. Um, and that is also available on Amazon and it will be published on the 9th of November. I think that about covers it. Thank you. Thank you.